Hello, Maeve, and Hi. welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you for this wonderful film. It was so great to see it uh, in a cinema. I saw it before at uh, Jerwood Space in London. Yeah. So it was commissioned uh, as a part of this um, commissioning platform. With and yeah, you'll have to lead me through it a bit because I read there is the there was a title unintended consequences. So that perfectly explains in a way what we saw. So I was, I was wondering, um, was it the title um, of the commission that you had to respond to in a way or how did that go? Um, yeah, I, I'm usually very dubious of themed uh, yeah. funding programs, but then this, uh, this one, Unintended Consequences, it fitted this story that I'd read quite a long time before, which was to do with these bat deaths um, near wind turbines and it had been knocking around in the back of my mind since my first year of university um, I was particularly drawn to it because I grew up with bats as my favorite animal uh, my brother and I <laughs> so uh, yeah it kind of struck a chord with me and then um, I suppose as kind of a discourse around the Anthropocene started to take sort of center stage it became a more and more sort of urgent idea or the kind of the complexity of this uh, uh, these two things interacting so the wind farms that are supposed to be this benevolent sort of symbol of progress and a way of kind of tackling climate change actually having this really uh, awful impact on a species that in the UK are actually protected so it's illegal for them to be killed with like um, yeah purposefully so now there are, there's certain sort of like mitigation techniques that are in place but it's still obviously harmful. So what we see in a film, I mean, to come back to another title, the title of your film, like Listening in the Dark, I mean, I was, I really liked how so much of the film is filmed actually in the dark and it also really functions, I mean, now when I was watching it, I really felt like, uh, like it works as this wonderful metaphor of just human beings and it's now a bit scary to use this word after Rosie Bredotti's talk, <laughs> but as humans to kind of watch how little we know and how much we are in, in the dark of these things and so, um, yeah, that, that I found really, really kind of interesting. Um, but, um, what I was, what I was also wondering is, um, in in your previous film, so you come from um, the drift and the the Jerusalem pink. Yeah. So they were really they were filmed in the uh, one was filmed in the Palestine and then in on the, in Lebanon. Yeah. Exactly. So how come? How did you come to? This was filmed in Scotland, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. 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 A much colder experience. Um, yeah, this, uh, I basically was living in Beirut for three years and my practice was kind of based there for some time. Um, and then I moved back to the UK and uh, I'd been spending quite a lot of time in Scotland and, and I've always been sort of preoccupied by geology um, for many, many years. Um, and the previous two films kind of look at geological and archaeological practices. Um, but in Scotland, I was kind of taken by the geology. It's very kind of particular there. And uh, you feel quite a stark difference from um, England crossing over into Scotland. And it's actually because it was part of a different landmass. So the geological formations are unique um, in the UK. You start with the sicker point. Yes, right? exactly. So I was kind of researching this and I came upon James Hutton who is quoted right at the beginning of the film and he's kind of seen as the first modern geologist he was in, during the Scottish Enlightenment um, and he basically came to this site which is Sicker Point which is the two land masses that you see meeting uh, at the beginning and in the middle of the film uh, and uh, it's basically where he kind of came to realize that 
the Earth is kind of perpetually forming itself and actually is in a state of constant repair and isn't this kind of biblical idea of an Earth that formed and then is being kind of eroded away um, as it had been seen um, prior to him. So he was really kind of vital in that and I was... Yeah, I was kind of really taken by that idea as a kind of framework, like a broader kind of geological, temporal framework for the film, that um, the Earth itself kind of will go on repairing itself with or without us, whether we perish in the meantime during this age of the Anthropocene. So it was kind of meant to be hopeful. <laughs> yeah, at the end, the, there is a bit of hope. I mean, at some point you really... But it also has a it has an interesting pace because, you know, the, the fact about the wind turbines we really learn quite late uh, in the film or this shocking... Um, kind of uh, information that the lungs of uh, the bats lungs, uh, lungs explode but still at the same time we hear about uh, as you said that the coral reefs or reefs are forming the the animals are returning so um, did you also ha want to kind of present this at the end like this kind of maybe hopeful kind of element to to the story um, yeah, I kind of I, I came to that story, the the seals, quite late when I was um, researching more into sort of marine. There's a kind of a marine institution that's on the east coast of Scotland that's dealing with all of the offshore turbine building and the ramifications of that. Because yeah, the drilling for the bases of those turbines is causing kind of horrific effects amongst marine animals. So there's many different kind of unintended consequences. Um, but I kind of I liked the idea that. Um, with or without us there's something much more complex going on that we can't really foresee or control and and it just is a kind of reminder that there's this ecosystem which we can only see a tiny piece of and suddenly something positive has come out of this thing that otherwise was very negative so yeah that was the hope there <laughs> but so in the in the film there's also I mean I would say that it is a lot about the history of science, basically. <clears throat> so the bats, we, we hear about the bats, but it could have been anything else, basically, because the, the story is how uh, we're learning through these stages, how kind of things come out of the dark. So what was your, I know, what was your learning process and learning curve with that? Because you met so many very, I, I imagine for you, if you're not really directly in, uh, like a biologist, so to meet with all these uh, zoologists and people working with bats, it must have been a bit uh, different. It was, yeah, I, I now know so, so much about bats. It's really crazy. Um, but it was just, it was kind of beautiful observing the world of bats in particular because they are this kind of object of study that's particularly difficult. Um, and so I suppose like there's bird watchers and these massive taxonomies of birds that have gone on for centuries. But with bats, there's only the last 20 years that they've been doing any sort of real surveying of them. And they're actually the second most common species on the planet after um, rodents. So it's they're almost everywhere in the world, but we don't really see them. They're kind of this night-based creature and they're always on the periphery of your vision. And I kind of saw this as like a sort of analogy to uh, something like the unknown or like all of these things that we don't yet see, like you said, all, the, all of the things that are kind of coming out of the darkness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, learned, I learned so much. And um, Claudia, who's the German female protagonist, she is a kind of quite political ecologist and she really talked to me a lot about... Um, I guess, uh, societal structures being sort of misaligned and the priority being the wrong way around. And that actually, uh, 
<laughs> capitalism puts e the ecosystem kind of at the bottom when in fact we are all very reliant on on the ecosystem however estranged and alienated we are from it so um, that in fact if the ecosystem um, kind of starts to suffer then we won't have food or survive so it's just this kind of yeah basically that there's this massive structural sort of problem that needs to be tackled as Rosie and everyone was talking about this morning. Exactly. <laughs> Do we have any questions from the audience maybe? Um, yeah, this this footage is from um, these U.S. Navy experiments, and I was starting to look at how sound has been used um, for humans to observe spaces as well. So, um, so explosions are used underwater or were to measure ocean floors, um, and they're used also as ways of kind of reading underground to find oil. They use kind of seismic low frequency sounds that travel through the ground. Um, and I kind of was typing in something around underwater explosions and I was looking into all of this kind of early experiment footage, um, like the bat footage as well, which you see in the black and white. Um, and it was basically the insides of ships when an explosion takes place outside of a, a ship. So it's all the machinery inside the ship and how it will deal with a war explosion. Um, and so basically all of these things that are solid start to melt and they're filmed in this slow motion and because it's got this kind of archival grain, they become even more sort of hypnotic and strange. And it was it was almost a kind of stand-in for the, the bat's death, basically, because this lung explosion is invisible and many of the kind of subjects of the film, in fact, are invisible and impossible to document. So I had to sort of skirt around the edges of these and find parallel kind of forms of representation. So... That was what those were. <laughs> um, yeah, this was also something really fascinating, kind of looking at the history of science and how those boundaries have changed so dramatically because you see the early specimens of all these dried, captured bats that have been put in jars or kind of flattened like butterflies um, and how that's become completely out of fashion, thank God. And also the early experiment where they blinded and, at the bats. And yeah, uh, so it's, it's funny how like now we approach this with a completely different sort of mindset on and it's much more about sort of observation. Um, so these kind of walks in the night that you see at the beginning of the film, like this kind of slow and patient observational technique is kind of now the done thing. And yeah, it's much better. <laughs> Anyone else? Maybe I would like to know. Um, so, did you also research in the archives? Because there is some archival uh, archival footage, but so also the films, not just probably the the texts. And can you tell us something uh, something about that? This process of kind of being in the archive and kind of learning yourself about things. Uh, yeah, so I was kind of basing myself at the National Museums of Scotland collection, um, and this is where they have um, the earliest uh, model of the bat detector, which was designed by David Pye, who's the kind of old man voiceover. He's 86, actually, even though he's very, very lucid and mm -hmm. incredibly smart and weaves together everything in the film. Um, so I was kind of going there to visit his collection, and his bats are the jarred bats, which are actually... Uh, he captured throughout his time in the 60s, like traveling in Trinidad and other, other places. He would capture the bats and record their ultrasonic call um, and then analyze them later. And his wife would draw their ears. So this is like a lifetime of this kind of collection of data. Um, but yeah, I was moving between the bat archive and then also the geology archive. And this was kind of very intriguing to the bat people and the geology people. They were, they were like, yeah. what are you doing? Why are you moving between these two departments? And then at some point, um, uh, one of the kind of curators pulled out this fossilized bat 
because he was like, oh, it's geology and bats. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and that was how that connection kind of came to be. And that was such a beautiful um, moment because the bat was discovered inside an oil pit in, in Germany. So it's actually what oil is made of. And Exactly. We see also this oil or this kind of fossilized um, remnants becoming oil. So it is. it, it was also fascinating to see yeah. that in a jar. Material. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, anyone else? Last chance. Okay, thanks, Meg.